Mayor Adams wants New Yorkers to eat less meat to combat climate change. You've heard that going vegan is great for the environment. Even the UN says so. But going vegan, or even vegetarian, is a huge lifestyle change, and clearly not everyone is ready for it. America has to stop eating meat. No burgers on July 4th. No steaks on the Barbie. This kind of thinking is stupid. You want to eat something that you're evolutionarily designed to consume. And there's nothing wrong with that. One of the main reasons why eating less meat is recommended is the methane emissions that come from the livestock industry. Cows especially are burping and farting out tons of methane gas. 30% of global methane to be exact. Methane makes up 20% of all greenhouse gas emissions. But most importantly, it's 25 times more potent at trapping heat in the atmosphere than CO2. That's why 150 countries have signed the Global Methane Pledge to reduce methane emissions by at least 30% by 2030. And that's why many experts are recommending that we scale back on the amount of meat in our diets. But what if there was a way to make the livestock industry more sustainable without making everyone go vegetarian? The answer lies deep in the cow's stomach, in a world of microorganisms, enzymes, and chemical reactions. Bacteria enzymes turn the hard-to-digest cellulose fibers into methane, of which 95% is burped out by the cow, and only 5% comes out the other end. But how can we turn what we know about cow stomachs into a climate solution? Two people, a scientist and an entrepreneur, tackled this problem from different angles, and they came up with almost the same solution, a feed supplement for cows that lowers their methane output. But each of them had their challenges. I'm Rachel Wu. I'm Allison John. And this is a story about how climate change solutions can be brought to life. There's no single silver bullet, but anything that can make an impact on climate change at scale is something we need to be looking at. Our first character is Steve Miller, an Australian now living in Nevada. After decades of involvement, Steve was the guy to look for in the corporate world of water, waste, and energy. I would have folks from other Fortune 100 companies call me up that I knew and said, can you help us? Steve is now the CEO of CH4 Global. CH4 being the chemical composition of methane, one carbon and four hydrogen atoms. His company uses red seaweed to make its feed additive called Methane Tamer. But Steve's journey actually began long before he was even in the picture. Somewhere in Canada, a farmer noticed that his cows had started eating seaweed and they seemed healthier. It was washing up on the beach. His cows were just eating it. This led Canadian scientist Rob Kinley down an investigative journey to find out what effect seaweed was having on cows. He moved to Australia and began collecting all types of seaweed along the Great Barrier Reef. And he came back into the lab and he tested them in this artificial cow stomach model. And most of them had a little bit of an effect, you know, 5%, 7%, maybe even 10 But one of them, turns out it was Asparagopsis taxiformis, completely shut down production of methane, 100%. Asparagopsis taxiformis was then testing in real cows and sheep. And what they found was almost complete inhibition of methane production. But no one in the outside world knew about this discovery. This is where Steve first became involved. In my post-retirement from corporate, I did some work for the Australian government to uncover it. 
Steve was given a task. Go across the whole country to all of the different research labs and rank order what was the most disruptive innovations. So Steve came across Rob's research. But Steve had signed an NDA, so he still couldn't talk about it. The discovery sat in the back of his mind until he was reminded of it again, about 18 months later. Steve was speaking at a climate conference in New Zealand, and he attended a lunch session where he heard from several politicians. He didn't usually pay much attention at these lunches, but this time he listened. The Prime Minister of one of the Pacific Island nations talked passionately about building dam walls around low-lying areas of the island to rising ocean and about having to relocate permanently people from his country to Fiji. This Prime Minister asked the lunchers a rhetorical question. What would you all do if you had a year left? At that moment, the room of 300 people was filled with what Steve described as embarrassing silence. But during this silence, Steve was thinking. I know something that works, and I said, I can solve your problem. That's when Steve knew he had to do something and founded Siege for Global. Had I not gone to the lunch, our company wouldn't exist. For Steve, it was about learning about an existing solution and deciding to bring it to the world, which led to his company. On the other hand, we have Mike Kinderman from Switzerland, who learned about the cow methane problem on the job in research and development at DSM a Dutch chemicals company. When I started at DSM, there was already the question around, can we reduce methane emission from ruminants? If we as a private sector have no answer to the most pressing problems of our time and climate change and malnutrition, we are in a bad shape. Mike has been working at DSM on a supplement for cows called Bovair for 14 years. But as a chemist by trade, it wasn't always that way. I gained a lot of knowledge about cows, but when I started, that was all new to me. Mike learned about how exactly the chemical reactions by the bacterial enzymes line up to eventually produce methane. That's an enzymatic process, seven enzymatic steps, which starts with CO2 and transforms CO2 and hydrogen into methane. Mike's team began looking for chemicals that could possibly block the very last enzyme involved in the chain reaction. The structure of this enzyme was already documented, so Mike's team used a computer model to test different chemicals. We test millions of compounds. Do they fit into this active site? And then we made a selection. The scientific breakthrough came surprisingly fast. The one they landed on was called 3-nitrooxypropanol, or 3-NOP. So Mike and his team basically reverse-engineered the asparagopsis taxiformis seaweed, coming up with a chemical that had the same effect. But the road wasn't easy. Steve and Mike each had challenges with bringing their ideas to life. For Steve, producing seaweed in massive quantities was the main challenge. Because you can't go and harvest it from freely from the ocean. There isn't enough. So you need to work out how to grow it in more controlled conditions. Knowing that the seaweed had to be grown, Steve was left with a question of where to grow it. I will openly acknowledge our first thought was we'll grow it in the ocean. Growing in the ocean was tempting at first. All the natural sunlight and nutrients floating freely. But the ocean is unpredictable. Growing a product there isn't scalable, which was Steve's goal. So it caused us to think about how do we grow it on land. And of course, you can control the environment if you understand how the seaweed grows. While Steve was struggling to grow his seaweed, Mike was jumping over hurdles to prove that the 3-NOP compound 
was both safe and effective, since anyone will be skeptical of a strange chemical in their cow's feed. Coming from a scientific background, Mike thought that once he proved 3NLP was successful, his work was done. Then we had the first package, knowing it works. I thought, that's it. Three successful trials, we have a product. Wow, was I wrong, because then the heavy lifting started. By heavy lifting, Mike means further testing to prove Beauvais works for everyone's animals. Because everybody was saying, my animals are different. Will it work in my feeding system? I have different diets. I have a different breeds. So we tested Beauvais around the world in 15 countries in about 60 feeding trials. One way Mike's team measured the cows was by setting them up in a controlled room. You put cows into a metabolic chamber, which is three, four times the cow. It stands there for two or three days, and the air that goes in and that goes out is measured. These are usually animals that are very much used to stand in there, so they're very happy and no stress, because stress is also not good for methane measurements. For Steve, growing this natural seaweed was difficult. And for Mike, proving this man-made chemical was safe was a long process. But their teammates got them through it. Steve hired a COO from the beer brewing industry, which really jump-started CH4 Global's ability to grow seaweed safely at the mass scale they needed. We always look at what are some other parallel industries? What can we learn from what people are already doing? And a good one for seaweed is the beer brewing industry. So in beer brewing, you have live organisms, yeast, in very large amounts of water, in contained vessels, and seaweed's not really that much different. So our COO, Tim Williams, comes to us from 20 years in the brewing industry. Like Steve, Mike was also growing his team from different areas of chemistry, biology, toxicology, and animal nutrition. Although the journey from product to market was long, Mike's team shared moments of fun along the way. We had a long-term study in beef, and we were getting, after one year, results back. And I asked my colleague, Stefan Bival, what's your prediction? And he said, oh, I think we won't see the effect that we expected. I said, let's make a bet. They decided to bet on a bottle of Stefan's champagne. Next day, he comes and he says, I have some bad news. I thought, okay, I have lost. But he said, no, here's the bottle of champagne. The chemical was working. Both Mike and Steve's products were on a roll. And what both of them found was that only a very small amount of their supplements were needed to make a difference. You need a quarter of a teaspoon of this powder mixed in the daily feed of the cow. It's less than one half of 1% of their daily diet, like a teaspoonful. At this point, I'm thinking, what's the price tag on these products? One of the most frequent questions that I got is, why the hell are you doing this and who is going to pay for it? And how do you make this a commercial product? What we say as a ballpark is roughly one dollar cent or one euro cent per liter of milk. When asked the same question, Steve stressed that although the supplement may cost a little more, it can make up for that cost in the value it provides. If you could gain access to a low carbon milk, you can now serve a demographic in your customer base that is demanding low-carbon products. This demographic is key because it might just be willing to pay a little bit more for a low-methane hamburger than a normal one. Just look at how much people are willing to pay for organic milk versus non-organic milk. About 10% more. The customers caring about the climate helps this to be a good economic decision for farmers. 
Would you be willing to pay a few more cents for eco-friendly dairy or meat products? Of course, tax incentives and other policies also help play a role. Can you incentivize it via these carbon credit schemes? There are national schemes in reduction. Switzerland has a big program for offsetting carbon emissions. It's very fragmented around the world, but it's growing. One more surprising way that low methane supplements can benefit farmers is that they actually lower feed costs by making the cows more efficient. Usually, 12 to 15 percent of the calories consumed by cows are turned into methane. With these supplements, though, the energy that would have been burped out in the form of methane stays in the cow, resulting in more beef or milk for the farmer, even when feeding cows the same amount of food. With these helping to make supplements affordable, Steve and Mike predict that their supplements will have a huge impact on global methane. Reducing product for at least 10% of the world's cows, 150 million cattle by 2030. That gets you to about a gigaton and a half of carbon dioxide equivalent reduction. So we have two supplements reducing cow methane, but very different stories. We have Steve, the entrepreneur, trying to figure out how to produce and sell an existing solution, and Mike, a scientist in a lab, creating and testing chemical compounds. Now you may be thinking, which is better? The CH4 methane tamer or the DSM bovier feed? Neither of our interviewees had anything bad to say about the other. It's not up to us to judge other products. Honestly, we also don't want to keep technologies away because the problem is so big, right? So we support other players in this field, specifically also startup companies, right? That's something we do actively. There is friendly competition in the low methane cow supplement world, but there's also room for everyone. This is what I do. It's not work. It's a passion. It's, it's what I enjoy. It, I couldn't not do it. Let's take a step back. First, what can you do to help? You can support policies that provide financial incentives for farmers to reduce methane. Be willing to pay a few cents more for low methane products once they become available. And keep being eco-friendly in other ways, like Mike, who bikes to work. And in the meantime, before these supplements become the norm around the world, you can try eating a little less meat. At the end of the day, we hope technologies such as the methane-reducing feed additives inspire optimism and help us see that we can fight climate change without radically changing our lifestyles and affecting existing industries. The stories of Steve and Mike, of both Methane Tamer and Beauvais, illuminate some key ideas. We learn there's no single solution to climate change, and all solutions involve both science and making that science available to the world. It could even start from something as small as a bacteria in a cow's stomach. This audio story was written and produced by Allison John and Rachel Wu. We'd like to thank Mike Kinderman and Steve Meller for being so generous with their time in our interviews. Our music comes from Blue Dot Sessions. And finally, a huge thanks to Laura Joyce Davis, the Stanford Storytelling Project, and the Stories to Save Our Planet class for making this episode possible. 